aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. All right. Hey, Reunion. How are you doing? Good, 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 good. Good to see everybody. Um, the Lord's been challenging me to challenge you to raise our expectancies of him as Jehovah Rapha. What does Rapha mean? Healer. And I've just been asking the Lord to bring back things. I never want to forget um, the things that he's done. Like his testimonies are always worth remembering. And he just said, uh, I get the microphone most weeks, and so most weeks he just said, like, I want you to remind people that I'm Rafa and remind people of the testimonies that I've done in your life and the lives of people in this room. And uh, the one that he brought back to mind, which I, I literally haven't thought of in, I want to say, three to five years, but I was sitting there and he reminded me of my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, one of the greatest miracles that I've ever heard of. My grandfather worked for a company that worked with uh, liquid gases, so liquid nitrogen, liquid hydrogen, all that kind of stuff, in this big chemical industrial plant in Suffield, Connecticut. And one time there was a, a gas leak, a, a line broke, a pipe broke, and liquid nitrogen uh, began to leak into the atmosphere. Do you guys know what liquid nitrogen does? Have you ever seen somebody stick a banana or a boot in a bucket of liquid nitrogen and then they tap it with a hammer? What happens? It shatters. So this gas, this liquid nitrogen, it's, it, a pipe bursts and it just goes all into the air. And my grandfather was in the middle of this mega industrial plant and he said he had to, um, the, the air, this, the gas in the air blinded him so he had to feel his way out of this facility. And he said the first miracle was that he found his way out at all. He blindly just felt his way through this thing. He said it took him a long, long time. And he said this facility was filled with twisting hallways, exposed pipes, ladders he had to climb up and down just to get to the exit. And so he manages to blindly find his way out of this facility, and they rush him to the hospital. He's in bad shape. And when they get him to the hospital, they tell him that he's going to be permanently blind because the liquid nitrogen, you know, got in his face. It actually melted his, eyes, his eyelids to his eyeballs. And um, they said, like, there's no cure for this. Like, you're done. You've melded your eyelids to your eyeballs. It's irreparable. And so my, my grandparents have always been very faithful to the Lord, and so they called their church, and the whole church went into a prayer and fasting that night, and I think they did it for two or three straight days. And, you know, my grandfather was all wrapped up with bandages, and they were going to have to do surgery on him two or three days later once some of the swelling went down. And so the day came for his surgery, and they um, unwrapped the bandages around his eyes, and when they took the, ga the gauze off, he was able to see perfectly fine. His eyelids were separated. And listen, before the accident happened, my grandfather wore glasses, and afterwards he didn't need glasses anymore. He was actually better vision afterwards. And the doctors, of course, were completely baffled 
and said, this is impossible. And it's like, well, here he is, you know, he's seeing. And I, I just love that. I mean, I, I think about the legacy. Healing is one of my favorite topics. I just think about the legacy that even has been in my own family, and I'm excited to share more personal stories. But um, I, was, I didn't realize this, but I keep a journal, like a five-year journal. So every day that I write in it, I can see what happened on this day last year. And today, on February 4th of last year, Gary and I did a healing training Zoom call with some people across the United States. And one of the ladies, uh, she was an older lady, she got healed of a broken ankle. She came on the call with a walking boot and she was in a lot of pain. And she, you know, at the beginning of the call, I just said like, hey, I think the Lord's actually gonna touch people's bodies without us even praying for them. And throughout the call, I remember she just kept standing up and walking out and then coming back and I'm like, it's not rude, but also like turn your camera off. That's a little distracting. What are you trying to do? And come to find out afterwards, she said that during the call, the pain left her body, which was the first time that happened since she broke it. And then throughout the call, what she was doing is she was getting up to test it because she couldn't believe that there was no more pain in it. So she'd get up, test it, sit down, and she would think, no, it's just in my head. Let me try it again. And she'd go and do something else she couldn't do. And so what we were watching her do is getting up and down trying to make it hurt and she couldn't make it hurt anymore and at the end of the call she was just weeping like sobbing it took her five minutes just to explain what was happening and what the lord had did and she then she just kept praising the lord and she, then she kept getting up because it wasn't testing now it was celebrating she was like dancing all around the kitchen and living room and i think on that same call there was this little girl uh, who got healed of pretty severe food allergies so do it again god so can everybody stand up? We're a Catholic church tonight. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Uh, we're going to pray for healing. And so if there's anybody in this room who needs physical healing, can you raise your hand real, real high so we can see it? If there's people around you, guess what you're going to do, church? You're going to find that person. You're going to ask them what you're praying for. There are no spectators tonight. Please, you can move. Begin. Go. Find somebody. And what, what you guys are going to do, you're just going to ask them, what are you praying for? And then everybody around them, just lay hands on them and pray for them. Keep your hands up if you need somebody. We need someone over here, over there, in the middle. Look around. There's people who have hands up who don't have people praying for them. Right in the middle, over here. If no one's coming to you, lay hands on yourself. Also, I, um, I felt like the Lord wanted to bring freedom to people tonight, and one of our staff said she felt like anxiety wants to be lifted off the weight of people's chest, so go for it. Just start blessing whatever the Lord wants to do in their body. Bind pain, loose wholeness and health. Take a few minutes. Go for it. Pray for them like you would want to be prayed for. Bless bodies, bless bodies. Healing come in this room. Keep praying, healing come. Wholeness come. Pain, you are bound and cast out. Sickness, you are cast out in the name of Jesus. The blood covers you in Jesus' name. Keep going. Jesus, get your testimony tonight.
keep praying, but as you feel like it's time, ask them to test it out, see if pain levels have gone down, see if the sniffles have decreased, see if there's any change whatsoever in bodies. Come and get these testimonies, God. Do it again. Do it again. If they test it out and there's no change, pray again. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this. You're not waiting on me. Pray for them again. We're not orphans. We don't have to beg. We're sons and daughters who get to receive this gift. Keep going, 30 more seconds. Test things out, bend things. Test range of motion. Get them, God. Yeah. So we bless what you're doing in this house tonight, Jesus. Does anybody have any? Changes in their bodies. Anybody having some healing happen? Moy, you got something? You got something? Come up here. Come up here. Come visit. Let me see. Does anybody else have any changes in their body physically? Daryl? Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Up, up here. Come where the big boys stand. Who else? Yeah. All right. Bless them. Have a seat. If, if anybody else had any healing in their body, I want you to just come line up over here. Oh, this is cool. Yeah. Moy, tell us, well, something happened, huh? Yeah. Tell us what was going on, and then tell us where you're at now. Uh, I got hurt at the gym, uh, hurting my ankle, and I was really scared that tomorrow it would be hindering, but I don't know. It works. Nope. No pain? I, I took an elevator. I took the elevator to come upstairs because I didn't want to walk up the stairs. No. Easy. Easy, yeah. Come on. So I don't know if you guys know this, but Moy is dangerous. He's a fighter. It's like his job to get hurt, and all of a sudden he's up here getting healed. So um, can you just, however it feels good to you, just release whatever he's given to you. Bless other people with that same healing you've received. So okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you today, thankful for everything that you do, Lord, and for the things that you continue to do, Lord. Jehovah Rapha, healer. I pray healing over this entire congregation, Lord, that your spirit flow through everybody and all the pain and injury and sickness leave in the mighty name of Jesus. Yes. And uh, yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Moy. Oh, the boys. I love it. The men. Daryl, what happened? Well, um, how y'all doing, Kingdom Siblings? Uh, so I went to the gym today. I had shoulder day today. And my, and my neck was hurting um, coming in. I, I stretched today, but my neck was like hurting really bad in like the back of my neck. And um, this lady over here, I forgot her name, my apologies, but she came and prayed for me, took an act of faith, and Rafa showed up. Um, and yeah, I don't feel any pain really. So um, if you want it freely, 
Freely receive, freely give away. So uh, <laughs> I want to thank you, Jesus, that um, you are a healer, that the blood still works today. And I want to impart my testimony of how you healed my neck off onto whoever it is in here. Jesus, Holy Spirit, angels, commission this message to be relayed to you guys. And um, just, yeah, the spirit of God, spirit of prophecy, so on and so forth. I apologize. Amen. 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 Thanks, Daryl. <laughs> All right. Colby, come on up, man. I feel like you got a good one. What did, what did the Lord just do? Uh, so my IT band was really tight, and it was hurting to even do this, but I could do it, but I knew if I kept pressing, it wouldn't be good. So these women of God, they all prayed for me. The first time, it got better, but it was still tight. And then they prayed again, and there was a solid prayer of alignment and just full mobility, and, and now like I can do it without it being painful. So more miles with the ghost, but I also release uh, healing in the knees, uh, alignment in the ligaments and tendons, Father God, that, uh, yeah, that body parts and muscles and joints all come together in Jesus' name. The healing that you did in my knee, I just give it away. Amen. Amen thanks. You, you have some, come on up. Champion, did you have something? Or you're just standing. You're just loving it. Come on up. You can hop up here. What's your name, man? Rory. Rory. Come tell us. What did the Lord just do? Um, the Lord helped me with my back because it's been really tight for a couple of years, and it's really been hurting me. And uh, a couple kind souls just prayed over me, and I, I think I'm starting to feel better. Come on. Amen. Give it away. Like, he's done it in you. He wants to do it in somebody else. Just pray for them to be blessed with that same thing. I pray that whoever's uh, dealing with the same thing that I'm dealing with, that they be healed, and Jesus can come into their life and show them how powerful he is too. Thanks, Rory. Thank you. Oh, man. If, if anybody else tests their body tonight and they feel like they've been healed, just come hop over here and it's worth interrupting. Does that sound good? Yeah, she's yeah, so good. We're not going to talk about healing. We're just going to have healing. Tonight, um, I'm going to continue with something that I can't get past. And honestly, I don't want to get past. Uh, for probably the past four months, uh, whenever I've been worshiping the Lord, he's, he's just been reminding me of the Greek word for worship, which is proskuneo, and it means to kiss, to blow a kiss. And I've just felt over and over as I've worshiped just to, to blow that kiss to him, to give him what he's worthy of. And I, that's where we're headed again tonight. We're going to continue this, this series we've been doing about the joy of being lovesick. And I was just thinking today, I went to the gym too. I didn't get hurt, so. All these gym bros getting hurt at the gym, doing it wrong. Sorry, you got a healer, he touches bodies. But while I was driving to the gym, uh, I felt like when I was thinking about this, this idea of being lovesick, if there's one priority of emphasis that I want to steward well for the Lord, it's, it's this, right? This has to be the first thing. This has to be the one thing. This has to be the main thing of what we're doing. And in the Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, they all tell the same story of Mary of Bethany, who we, we talked about several weeks ago. We talked about Mary and some of the things that happened. But I'm not done, and I don't feel like the Lord is done with this. There's more that he wants us to sit on. And you know, when we talked about offense a few weeks ago, it was the thought of, let's deal with this. Let's talk about this thing, because this is something that can't come with us for where we're going. Well, this, is, this idea of lovesickness, this is something that has to come with us for where we're going. 
I can't get past it. We won't get past it. He's not finished. And I think that the Lord is having us linger on this because it's the one thing that is more important than the rest. So I want to read a little bit of a lengthy passage out of John. Again, Matthew, Mark, and John all have this almost identical story of Mary of Bethany. So starting in verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why is this perfume not sold for 300 denarii to give to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had, and as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was in, put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then then learned that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So before we get to the main part of this story, what was, what was Martha doing in this story? Does anybody remember? She was working. The, the Bible says she was serving. What was Mary doing? She was anointing him. Do you see this trend that we see multiple times in both of their lives? We, we talked about this when we talked about Mary before, that she was constantly putting herself at his feet. All the stories about Mary, she was constantly putting herself in a place of adoration. And Jesus' response to her was that he, he was always stirred, he always took compassion, and then he moved supernaturally because of her posture. What was the religious community wanting to do with Jesus in this story? Kill him. What was the religious community wanting to do with Lazarus in this story? Kill him. The religious spirit always comes into agreement with death. The spiritual is always about agreement. We'll talk about that soon-ish. In the, the Mark and the Matthew accounts of this story, the disciples say this one phrase. They say, when, when Mary comes and anoints him and pours this perfume, this nard on his feet and on his head, they say this phrase, why this waste? Why this waste? Do you know what the word waste means? I'm going to tell you because I don't feel like you do. It means to use or expend carelessly, extravagantly, or to no purpose. It means giving more than what is necessary. Say necessary. It's giving more than what is necessary. It means exchanging something that's more valuable for something that's less valuable. And it means to throw away with no purpose. When the disciples saw Mary of Bethany pouring this costly perfume, which cost 11 months' wages, the Bible says. When she was pouring out this valuable perfume, they said, why this waste? 
And in both the Matthew and the Mark accounts of this story, Jesus, his response to their question is this. Let's put it on the screen. It's the exact same sentence. He says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Keep that up there just for a second. We need to understand that Jesus wanted Mary of Bethany to be remembered. And it wasn't just with his 12 disciples. It was with everyone and everywhere. It was wherever this gospel was going to be proclaimed across the whole world, she gets recognition. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that this was offensive because Mary never preached a sermon that we know. She never taught a Bible study. We don't know if she ever did any miracles. She didn't lead a crusade. She didn't have a podcast. She didn't have anything that set her apart. So why then does Jesus say that Mary's story needs to go with the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's because there's an invitation in Mary's story for all who hear the gospel, that people should come to him and waste themselves lavishly on him. This, this is the result that Jesus wanted by including Mary's story in the gospel message. And it's so interesting when you read those three accounts of Mary of Bethany. Um, in the John account, it focuses on Judas when he says, why this waste? And in the Matthew account, it focuses on the other disciples when they say, why this waste? All 12 of the disciples came to the conclusion that this was a waste. But the Bible is very clear in delineating that one of the books talks about Judas and one of the books talks about the disciples. Well, let, I want to look at those things and let's look at Judas first. You can take that down. Thank you. To Judas, who never called Jesus Lord, anything that got poured out was going to be seen as a waste by him. And what we see here is Judas is representative of the world, of the lost. The world sees doing anything in the name of Jesus as a waste, right? To see believers give their lives for the sake of the gospel or for the kingdom is foolishness to them. And because Jesus doesn't have a place in their heart, um, he's not loved by them. It's to be expected, right? So anything that's given to him of value is seen as a waste. And so in, the story, or in that story in the book of John, Jesus rebukes Judas' mindset, and he praises Mary, and he says, no, she's chosen to do the best thing possible. She's chosen to see my worth, and she's seen it rightly. I think that the implication here is that part of the gospel is bringing us into true understanding of his worth. So in that John 12 account, Judas is offended at Mary's waste. And essentially he says, I think we could have managed this money better by putting it to different use, like using it some other way. Right? There's plenty of poor people we could have given this to. Why not use it for charity? Why not help the poor in a practical way? Why would you waste it by pouring it on the feet of Jesus? Right? That's the reasoning of the world. It's the carnal mind. It's the fleshly mind. And I love Jesus' answer. He says, do not bother her or do not trouble her. 
In that word, it means do not interrupt her, which implies they were trying to stop her. People will say what they like, but let us not be troubled or interrupted by what others think of our worship. When our eyes are fully open to the lamb, there is nothing too good to give to him. If the Lord is worthy of something, how can that thing then be a waste? If the Lord is worthy of something, why would we interrupt that? And we all agree, like, yes, he's worthy of my life, but then we can't try to restrain our worship because it's too lavish. Well, is worship not part of your life? Does Romans 12:1 not tell us that our whole lives are worship? How can he be unworthy of worship? Regardless of the cost, regardless of how lavish it is. So you guys get that. I don't want to get hung up on Judas. Judas represents the world and worldly thinking. But I do want to take a look at Matthew 26 when it tells this story because this account focuses on the disciples. I think that this Matthew account is more important to us because the disciples' reaction impacts us more than Judas's reaction. We understand that the world will reject Jesus, right? It doesn't it bothers us, but it doesn't bother us as much when the world says, why this waste? Because we know that they don't have understanding. We know that it's a spiritual discernment that the flesh says that's foolishness. We can stand the world thinking this is foolish. In fact, we expect it. But it should very much bother the Christian when we see other Christians who ought to understand then say, why this waste? In, in this Matthew 26 account, the disciples actually land in the same place that Judas lands, and their question is the same question, why this waste? And just like Judas, it says they became indignant, which means to grieve much. It means to be enraged, a feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. It was in response to their, the disciples' anger that Jesus rebuked their interruption of her, work, her worship. Right? He told them, don't bother her. Don't interrupt her. And this is important for us to understand that the disciples were offended and enraged over their perceived unfair treatment of Jesus to the point, apparently, where they were trying to stop her. Don't be surprised when even those who know the Lord rebuke your lavish worship. The disciples knew the Lord intimately, and they still said, why this waste? They were still offended at, what they, at this woman. Don't be surprised even when those who know him take the mindset of get as much as possible for as little as possible. It doesn't mean we should throw condemnation at them, but I guess what I'm saying is it shouldn't surprise us if it happened to the 12 who were with Jesus for three years intimately. It's possible that it might happen to us. In Matthew 26, why were the disciples indignant? What was their suggestion for the money? What did they want to use it for? The poor. Same thing. They're upset that this money wasn't given to the poor. Let me rephrase that. They were upset that this money wasn't used for the poor. 
their whole perception of worth was based on use. In other words, they were upset because there was a better use of the price of that worship. They, they were concerned that the perfume could have been used better. They felt like this wasn't doing enough. And listen, I understand that the Lord wants to use us for his glory, but according to Jesus in this story, using is not his primary focus for us. It's not his primary desire for us. And I'm not preaching inactivity, and I'm not telling us to be lazy, and I'm not saying just don't do anything. You don't have to do anything. I'm reading the book of James right now. It's literally the opposite of that statement, right? Faith without works is dead. But, not but, and. And we cannot be complacent in our work for the Lord. Uh, There's so many scriptures that talk to us about the work of the Lord and doing things for him. Even in this passage, the Lord himself says there's work attached. He says the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world. There is work in this statement that Jesus gives them. But the issue is an issue of emphasis and priority. Work is important. It's just not the emphasis. Work is important. It's just not the priority. What Jesus was doing here with with Mary is he was saying that the basis for all of our service to the Lord has to come from us first pouring ourselves completely out upon him. And listen, if that's all he ever allows you to do, it's enough. It's enough. It was enough for Mary to do that one thing and for her to go down in history as part of the gospel. The first question is not whether the poor have been helped or not. The first question is, has he been loved? In this story, Jesus is showing that his primary concern is not on the work that we can do for him. The Lord's first concern, his first concern is with us positioning ourselves at his feet. His first concern is us anointing his head with oil. And he's interested in what's inside that alabaster jar being released to outside of that alabaster jar. And it comes at his feet. We've all heard stories of people getting burned out working for the Lord. But nobody has ever gotten burned out worshiping the Lord. Do you understand? No act of extravagant worship has ever led to the hindrance of the gospel. Jesus here is actually saying that Mary's extravagant worship is part of the gospel. Do you know why people get tired during worship sets at church? It's because they're not worshiping, they're praising. And I'll tell you about this. I got a fan right here. What's up? There's a difference between praise and worship. Praise comes from the flesh, not bad flesh, but it is self-willed. It is a choice. If you don't feel like praising, you can tell yourself to praise the Lord. In fact, the seven Hebrew words for praise, there's several of them that mean a self-willed choice. It's a decision that even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to praise the Lord. Praise comes from the flesh in that regard, like from ourselves. But worship, you cannot worship from the flesh. Worship always comes from the spirit. That's why Jesus calls it worshiping in spirit and truth. He does not call it worshiping in flesh and truth. You cannot worship from the flesh. 
Worship requires the spirit to be engaged. So while praise comes from the soul, from the flesh, worship comes from the spirit and the inner man. You know, the Bible tells us to praise him with all of our might, but we're never told to worship him with all of our might. Worship has nothing to do with might. Worship is from our spirit, and that's a different realm. Our spirit never gets tired. Our flesh may fail, but worship doesn't come from the flesh. Praise and worship are both very important. They are both necessary. Both of those things please the Lord endlessly. But one of the differences is that praise is a command, whereas worship is a response. In other words, worship has to be an overflow from the heart based on its definition. And that's why the Father is seeking those who worship him in spirit and truth, because it shows that this has gone beyond a choice and now it's overflow. Mary's act in this story was an act of worship. It was an act of overflow. Her outward actions were simply uh, revealed what her inward posture was. Carrying on part of that story in Mark 14, 9, Jesus said, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Now again, why, why was Jesus so apt to lay hold of this? And I think that the reason is because the gospel is meant to produce what Mary demonstrated. The gospel, put on your seatbelts. Don't stop listening after I say this statement or a bunch of people are going to leave and be offended. But listen, the gospel is more than for just satisfying sinners. It's meant to satisfy the Lord. And let me explain that. Thank God that the gospel is a light for the lost. And thank God that the lost are satisfied in the salvation of the Lord. But these are beautiful byproducts of what the gospel actually is. It's not the primary aim. I found this quote from this evangelist, uh, this church planter in the middle of the last century who essentially helped start the underground church in China. He said this, he said, I'm afraid we lay too much emphasis on the good of sinners and we have not sufficiently appreciated what the Lord has in view as his goal. We have been thinking how the sinner will fare if there is no gospel, but that is not the main consideration. Yes, praise God, the sinner has his part. God meets his need and showers him with blessings, but that is not the most important thing. The first thing is this, everything should be done to the satisfaction of the Son of God. It is only when he is satisfied that we will be satisfied, and then the sinner will be satisfied. I've never met a soul who has set out to satisfy the Lord and has not been satisfied himself. Our satisfaction comes unfailingly when we satisfy him first. Go read Luke 17. We don't have time to read it, but it's the story of Jesus basically saying, hey, when the master comes in from the field, the servants serve him first, and then they eat. Then they get satisfied. But you serve the master first. Our satisfaction comes when we satisfy him first. That is the reason why he is looking for those who offer him no resistance. That is the reason why his presence, just his being, is safer than any known way that we've ever discovered. That is the reason why that even throughout history in the, the crackle of flames, 
martyrs have chosen to sing out his praise. I heard somebody say that God always moves my heart before he moves my feet. So I have to move my feet to where my heart is. And I was chewing on that. And at least how I am interpreting that is that he needs our hearts positioned at his feet before he commissions our feet to move elsewhere. This is why Martha was scolded for making many preparations and Mary was praised for being at his feet. We have to remember that this is not a slave-slave-master relationship. This is a love cry of him saying, come sit with me, come be with me. And I'll send you, I'll commission you, but this is the one thing most needed. This is the one thing. This is the main thing. This is the only thing, Jesus says in Luke 10. She's found the one thing most needed. And I think what this passage, these passages about Mary, what they show us is that the Lord is only satisfied by the wasting of ourselves on him. Can you think of a single time in the Bible, when anyone ever gave the Lord too much? I'll wait. Can you think of a single time when the Lord said, hey, 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 Moses, that is too much affection for me right now. Tone it down. You are demonstrating your love too lavishly for me. You're at a 10. Bring it down to an 8. It's not in the book. He never rebuked people for loving him lavishly, but he did rebuke those who didn't. Is there ministry to be done for the Lord? Absolutely. But the point is that our work for him only becomes excessive, or, sorry, acceptable once we have ministered to him. Our work can never come before our love. And remember, if this was all that Mary had done for him, it was enough. No crusades, no saved being lost, no revival meetings, no missions trips. It was just this. It was the fact that every time she saw him, she came and sat at his feet. She lavished him. She ministered to him. She wasted 11 months worth wages of perfume on him. She didn't do any of those things, but she did sit at his feet. She didn't do any of those things, but she did lavish and pour oil on his head, and that was enough. Going back to that passage in Mark 14, but Jesus said, let her alone, right? Don't bother her. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Say beforehand. Mary didn't anoint Jesus during his beating. She didn't anoint him while he was hanging on the cross. She didn't anoint him when they took his dead body to the empty tomb. She did it beforehand. She did it the moment that she had access to do it. The moment that he became available, she came in and did it. And listen, she didn't, write, she didn't wait for the right moment because there was no right moment for this type of thing. She broke a lot of rules, both religious and cultural, but she decided that her love for him was too overwhelming to wait for the right moment. It wasn't appropriate on any level for her to be in that room. 
much less doing what she did to Jesus. The question isn't whether we'll worship him and glorify him forever and ever when we're standing before him in eternity. The question is, what will we do today? We know what's coming. Do you remember that when, after Christ uh, was crucified, he died and he was buried, he was put in the tomb, that it says that a group of women went to the tomb with the intent to anoint his body. Do you remember that story? Were those women successful in anointing Jesus' body in the tomb? No, why not? He wasn't there. He was risen. He was gone. But there was one who succeeded in anointing him beforehand. And when he truly becomes our everything, nothing becomes too costly to lavish upon him. Nothing is too good to withhold. And it cost Mary dearly to pour perfume on her Savior's feet and anoint his head. I don't mean this to be harsh, but it's, it's just meant to be truth, that it's poverty when people say, why do we need to do that? God already owns everything anyways. He doesn't need this. This is more than what the situation calls for. This is unnecessary. When Mary came and poured out this pound, it says one pound of costly perfume on Jesus' feet. It was enough that it offended the disciples and brought them to indignation. Her extravagance offended them. It wasn't this small offering. On the night that Jesus died, it says that Nicodemus came and he brought a hundred pounds of anointing spices and oils to anoint his body. Now, I'm no first century Jew, but 100 pounds sounds like a lot of pounds for one man's dead body. 100 pounds of the spices and the oils that Nicodemus brought, by today's standards, is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was way more than even the kings and nobility were anointed with when they were buried. Why this waste? You don't need that much. That's excessive. And I just, you know, Jesus' response is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He isn't looking for what's enough. He's looking for what he's worthy of. Jesus, in that passage that we just looked at, he said, she's done what she could. She's done what she could. In other words, Mary kept nothing from me. She didn't leave anything in that jar for another day. It was all today. It was all spent. It was all poured out. And this pouring out, this, this wasting was so precious to him that he says, this is now part of my story. This is part of the gospel now. It's far more precious for us to anoint him now than it is for us to anoint him later. Later, is, later doesn't exist when we say, I'll do it later, I'll do it later. Later is so alluring because it eases the cost of now. I'll pour half out now, and the next time I see Jesus, I'll pour out the other half. That's not what he asked for. That's not what he wanted. That wouldn't have satisfied him. Now is more costly, but the cost of now becomes our reward for later. 
in the John account, this is how we'll, we'll end. In John 12, 3, it says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So for us, for the church, the aroma that filled the house is still the call for the church today. Mary's fragrance never passes. It never stays in the book. It never stays in history. It's actually a, a prophetic picture for the church. And it's only in the breaking of that costly jar that releases the fragrance that our Savior is looking for. Uh, let's pray. I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you that the door to come see you is unlocked, that, that just like Mary, she probably didn't knock. She came in, and she didn't care what it cost her. She had to give you everything. So thank you that we get to approach you so freely, that we get to approach the throne of grace. Jesus, would you take our everything? Would this be a beautiful offering, a beautiful sacrifice unto you? And what, what we're not doing, we're not looking at the cost, Jesus. We're looking at your worth. And we just proclaim that, Jesus, you're so worthy. You're so worth all of this. You're so worth my life. You're so worth my worship. You're so worth any cost that lies on this side of eternity. You're worth it. And so we lift our hands off of cost. We change our minds away from waste. And we just say, oh, to be wasted on you, Jesus. Oh, to be wasted on you. Have our hearts. Have them fully. Not 90%, not 99%. Have 100%. Come purify what you're looking to purify. With this charge to us as believers to fill the house with your fragrance, with this fragrance, would this just be the, the desire of our lives? Before the callings, before the destinies, before the missions, before the things that we're meant to do, this has to be first. And so we embrace this as the first thing. We embrace this as the main thing. And we proclaim that you are the one thing. And so, King, we worship you. Lover of our souls, we delight in you. We give you our hearts, we give you our praise, we give you our worship. Take the overflow, God. Let this be your reward. Let this be the reward. Let this be the joy that was set before you, that you took the cross with joy. And so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to end the service. We're going to put on some worship music. This is the official end of service. If you need to go, um, we're, we're so thankful that you are here, and we will see you next week. But if you have time, let's, let's crack open some alabaster jars. The front is going to be open. We're going to have our prayer ministers moving around up here. Um, the people who are up here praying are part of our prayer team. This isn't a place for people just to randomly come up and pray for each other. We want this to be a safe place where um, trusted people can come around and pray for you. Uh, but we never, ever will limit giving people the opportunity to break a jar at the feet of Jesus. So can you guys stand?
God, I bless this house. I bless the hearts in this house. And as we dismiss, as we take off for tomorrow, let, let this come with us. Let the worship not just remain in these walls. Let this worship be who we are. Let this be part of our lives. Let everything we do be draped and drenched in this call to you. Let the oil flow. Let it overflow tonight, Jesus. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.